Well, happy Resurrection Day. Everybody doing all right today? Y'all good? All right. Love it. Love it. Good to see everybody. I know we got some pack rooms today. I want to say hey to uh, the folks in the sanctuary. Also, we got overflow venues, and I was just told that we are right now adding another overflow venue. So, a little crazy around here, but man, I love, uh, love Easter, just celebrating that Jesus is alive. Uh, that, that's what it's all about. And I think about, I think about this little story. The Sunday school teacher asked his kids, hey, what do you think Jesus' first words were when he came out of the tomb? This little girl raised her hand and she said, ta-da. Like, <laughs> I doubt that's true, I doubt that's true. But, but I, I love the heart behind that, right? So he, he's alive right now and he's reigning. And I wanna say hey to everyone who might not normally come to John Safari, a lot of family and friends that are here today. What a, what a pleasure it is to have you. I'd love to meet you. I'm gonna be in our, uh, we call it our pergola area right here in the atrium after the service. If you got a second, please stop by. I'd love to just to get to meet you for just a second before you take off today. So we are in the middle of a series here at Johnson Ferry called The Race, and it's, it's a series based on the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Now, you may not be a Bible person, you may not read the Bible, you may not know about Hebrews, and that's okay. If you are interested to learn more, you can go online or to our YouTube channel or wherever else and, and maybe listen to some of those or watch some of those teachings from the past. But today I wanna give you a, a snapshot of what this book is all about, and we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and the context of the book of Hebrews is it's written to people who are wondering, have I made a mistake by following Jesus? Now, in context, these are people who grew up Jewish and were wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Have we made a mistake? Do we need to go back to all those Old Testament temple sacrifices and we've talked about that for a long time here at Johnson Fury, and I encourage you to study that, look at that. But this book is incredibly relevant to our lives today because while we may not struggle to go back into an Old Testament sacrificial system, a lot of us think at our core that the way you are right with God is to do the right things, to be a good person to stack up enough points in the good column of your life so they outweigh the bad column. And if at the end of your life, you're, you, know, you got more on the good than more on the bad, then you are good to go with God. And Hebrews tells us something very, very different about what is needed, what Jesus did, and how that's relevant for our lives today. So I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Again, just a, a bit of a snapshot here into this, into this world of Jesus being our high priest. And it's our tradition that when I read the text before I teach, teach it, uh, we stand just out of reverence for God. So in all of our venues, would you guys right now stand? And I wanna read for you Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, we got it on the screen for you there. Verse 11, this is what, and we don't know who wrote this, at least from a human side, uh, but we believe God's the author of scripture. This is what he says, verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, that's Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, once for all, that's what he's saying. Once for all, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool 
for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, or yours might say being sanctified. Let's pray about that. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you for, Lord, what this day is all about, who you are and what you're doing. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word by your spirit today. No matter what we've come in here with, especially just the chaos of an insane parking lot and trying to find a seat and all, all that kind of stuff, God, would we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you wanna speak into our lives. So we'll pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys have a seat. So in case I don't know you, I know we got some folks that, that I haven't had the chance to meet yet. Um, married, I have three kids, three daughters. Pray for me, three daughters. A lot of, a lot of feelings in the house. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, two, of, two of my daughters are now the age where they have you know, devices and iPads and phones and that kind of stuff. And so as they've gotten older, as a family, we started you know, texting one another. Have you ever texted someone like literally 20 feet away in the other room? We do it all the time. Don't judge me. We do it all the time. And what I've noticed is sometimes my daughters will use acronyms that, that I don't understand. And I, and I know this is totally like I'm admitting, you know, whatever, but I, I have to Google like, what are you talking about, right? So I thought, I don't know how you are with acronyms in terms of, the, in terms of how we text each other. So I thought I'd just give you a quick little quiz. Like I bet you know some of these. If you know them, you can call them out. It's like this one, is, what, what does that mean? OTW, anybody? Uh, on the way, right? We text that a lot. I'm on the way. I'm headed your way. All right. How about this? Greatest of all time. Use that a lot. All right. Shaking my head. All right. Everyone, and even right now, everyone's doing that. Shaking my head. All right. Right now. Anybody know this one? Hit me up. Yeah. You need something? Hit me up. Right now, the sanctuary is killing this right now. All right. Number, <laughs> number five. Number five. Anybody know this? I don't care. Someone right now saying, I don't care about this. All right. Number six. Be right back. Number seven, for what it's worth. For what it's worth. Uh, and lastly, number eight, missing in action. Now, miss, now MIA, MIA is like a military thing. We think about someone who's missing in action on the battlefield. But we've started to use that just in everyday life, right? Like if someone we haven't seen in a while or it seems like they've disappeared, we say they are MIA. I think though you may not say it like this, I think a lot of people think Jesus is MIA. Now, you know the story, you've heard the story that Jesus Christ came, he was crucified on a cross, he died three days later, was raised from the grave, raised from, from death in his resurrection you may not know this, but he goes on and he makes 40 days of appearances in this resurrection body. And then, and then he, and he does what the Bible calls the ascension. He goes up into heaven and then he sits down. See, the thing is, we, we, we know that, a lot of us in our, in our heads, but do we really, have we experienced the life change that Jesus brings in our heart? Because a lot of us think he's missing in action. You say, hey, that's great 2,000 years ago that he did all this stuff, but when I look at my life, where is he now? And a lot of you have walked in here this morning with just pain, with difficulty. We think about the events we watch in the world, like what happened in Nashville a couple weeks ago. We just go down the list of just horrific things that have happened just in the last few years. Maybe you have a 
medical crisis, a financial crisis, a relational crisis. I mean, I mean, all of us walk in here. Now, we mask it pretty well, but we walk in here with a lot of pain. And there's part of us, we, we feel guilty for even asking this question, but we, we, we just think, God, Jesus, are you missing an action in my life? Where, where are you right now? It's awesome, 2,000 years ago, wonderful, but what about right now? And those are the questions that I want us to think about briefly on this Easter Sunday morning. Two questions, in fact. Number one is this, where is Jesus right now? And number two, what is he doing? What is he doing? In, in the text that we read, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it's interesting the contrast that is made here because he says in verse 11, see, he's comparing Jesus as perfect high priest with these Old Testament imperfect human priests. And this is what he says, verse 11. Every priest stands ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, once for all, right? What, what did he do? He didn't stand, but he what? Anybody see? He sits. He sat down. I'll just borrow Bobby's stool here. So Jesus goes to heaven, and the Bible says that he sits. I didn't say twirls, it just says that he sits. Now, there is so much meaning in him sitting, not only because the Old Testament verses like Psalm 10, uh, 110 said that he would sit, but sitting is a symbolic gesture of saying there's nothing left to be done. That unlike human priests who had to sacrifice over and over and over again, year after year after year after year, this is a once for all sacrifice and there is no, nothing left to be done and Jesus sits in power. And the connection that the New Testament makes that we often miss is the connection between Jesus' resurrection and what the Bible, excuse me, what we often call in theological terms, the session of Christ. Now, maybe you've never thought about the session. You don't even know what's the session. Session is just a, a way of talking about that Jesus sits. And this huge chain of events all matters. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session, they all go together. If you take out any one in that chain of events, then you miss the point of the whole thing. And the fact that Jesus is alive and the fact that he is sitting means that there's no longer a sacrifice that needs to be made, that his sacrifice for once for all, that our sins could be forgiven. But still we have to get to the question, well, what is he doing right now? Is Jesus MIA? I would say yes, except I wanna maybe change the acronym a little bit. Let's just think briefly about what Jesus is doing right now. Three words, three images I'd love to throw your way. The M, Jesus is what the Bible calls our mediator, our mediator. Now, we tend to think about that as someone who might get in, in the middle of two opposing parties and help work a compromise. You know, you're having a business deal that goes south, you need a mediator. Someone can come and kind of help you both give a little, meet in the middle to be able to, to move forward. But when the Bible talks about that, Jesus is a mediator. It doesn't mean that Jesus is asking us to compromise a little and God to compromise a little. No, he's, he's this go-between that reconciles two parties that were in opposition. And those parties are a holy God and unholy people like you and like me. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was mediating, reconciling us back to a holy God. First Timothy 2.5 says this about Jesus. 
For there is one God and one mediator, there's that word, also between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And the reason that we need mediation is that all of us, because of our sin, are separated from God. You know, like I might meet somebody and they say they're a Christian, that's awesome. Say, how long have you been a Christian? Well, I've always been a Christian. Well, they probably just mean that they've been around Christianity their whole life, that it's hard to remember a time when they weren't a Christian. But the reality is no one is born a Christian. You're not a Christian because you grew up in America. You're not a Christian because you grew up around a lot of other Christians. No, no one's born. In fact, what the Bible says is that we are all alienated from God because of our sin. My sin, your sin. But Jesus Christ has mediated that relationship. See, here's the thing about Christianity. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what was done for you in this once for all sacrifice. And here's the thing I know about you. Every single person in this room right now wants the same thing. And it's not just a seat for those struggling to get a seat. But you all want the same thing. You all want truth in a world of lies. You want belonging in a world where everyone's out for themselves. And you want purpose in a world that struggles to have a greater meaning. And all those things are only fully and finally found in Jesus. In fact, this morning we're baptizing about 30, 35 people in all of our services, which is awesome. And that baptism, when they're baptized, it's a public declaration to you that they have died to self and been raised to walk in the newness of living in the ways of Jesus. That's a step a lot of you need to take, not just baptism, but salvation. Are you truly born again? It's one thing to have head knowledge of the Easter events, that the tomb is empty, wonderful. But how about your heart? Is your heart empty? Jesus wants to fill it with himself. He's the mediator. He's M-I-A, the mediator. Here's another word for us, an image. This is the I. He's our intercessor. Our intercessor. Now, now we, we, not, we don't use that word a lot, but in church, we, we think about intercessory prayer, which is one of the great blessings and benefits of being a part of a faith family like John Ferry and other kind of Jesus church, that we, we seriously pray for one another. And we take that very seriously, that we, we are privileged to pray for one another. And why do we pray for one another? Because we believe we have a God who hears and who cares, amen? And one thing the Bible tells us about Jesus in Hebrews chapter seven is that Jesus actually lives to make intercession for us. Yes, through his once for all sacrifice, but even right now, it's hard to comprehend. Jesus lives to make intercession for his people. Jesus loves to hear us. Jesus loves to care about us. Jesus loves to care about you no matter what you're going through when you are his child. In fact, Hebrews 4 says this about Jesus. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. What's the effect? Well, here's what he says. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus wants you to approach him, his throne of grace in your time of need. There's a lot of people who, who don't come to Johnson Ferry or places like this for the reason they think, man, all you people at church, y'all must have all your lives all together, but I'm a failure. And we live in a community 
that is really good at putting masks on things at times and projecting like we all have it together, the reality is that we don't have it together. In my life, there's a lot of times I certainly don't have it together. And I need, I need the intercessory work of Jesus in my life. So do you. There's a theologian by the name of Alan Torrance. He wrote this uh, when his wife Jane was, was dying. It's a little lengthy, but I, I just love what it captures about the priestly work of Jesus. This is what he says. In January 2008, my wife Jane died of cancer. She was the most wonderful Christian woman, wife, and mother. Watching her die in pain as the cancer spread throughout her body was hard. And seeing our children witness her, her gradual disintegration, not only physically, but mentally, as the cancer spread through her brain was extremely hard. There were times when in my grief, I really struggled to find the wherewithal to pray and indeed to even know how to pray, what to pray for. I didn't know how to pray. But in the depth of that valley, I love what he says this, in the depth of that valley, this continuing priesthood of Christ became more relevant than I can begin to articulate. The fact that as I held Jane in my arms, the risen, ascended priest of our confession was present by the Spirit interceding on our behalf. We could rest in his presence and know that communion that is the beginning and the end of everything. Jesus cares. He cares for the doubters. He cares for the skeptic. And one of the unsung heroes of the Easter story is Thomas, who we often call Doubting Thomas. Maybe we should just call him what his real name is. How about just Honest Thomas? He was struggling to believe. That's a lot of you, struggling to believe. Can I tell you, there's a God who weeps, there's a God who cares, and his name is Jesus. He's your mediator, he's your intercessor. How about the A? He's your advocate. He's your advocate. In verse 13 and 14, now he's quoting Psalm 10 here, talking about Jesus sitting. He says, he's waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Isn't that an interesting picture? His enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He's our judge. And then he says this, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now, that's actually got some interesting Greek there, which is the language of the New Testament, just the way the verbs are. Um, because he says that he has perfected, that's a completed event, a one time, once for all event. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, which means in our life, it's a process. His one time act works in our life in a process whereby we grow more and more to understand him and to know him. Karl Barth was this theologian who would tell this little story about this um, this guy that was riding on a horse and he was trying to get somewhere on this frozen night and, and he finally got to his destination and the people couldn't believe that he had gotten there and they said, do you know what you just did? He said, no. He said, you just rode that horse over a frozen lake. And when he found that out, he falls off the horse and he feels two things. One, fear of what he just might have gone through but also gratitude that he was saved. I think that's what salvation in Jesus is like. That the more we know him, the more we grow in him, the more we understand the beauty of who Jesus is and the difference he makes in our life. We're filled with, with yes, fear of what our life without him would be, 
our destiny without him would be, our eternal life without him would be, but we're also filled with gratitude for the grace of how he changes our lives. You know, the people of Johnson Ferry, we're not perfect people. We struggle. <laughs> sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. But this church is filled with people who are a testimony to the grace of God and the on work, ongoing work of Jesus. And this morning in all of our services, we're baptizing people who are saying, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. I've died to myself and I've been raised to walk in the newness of life with him. Now, before we baptize those people, I want you to see a wonderful testimony of someone whose life was changed by Jesus. And who knows, maybe this morning is the morning that God wants to change your life. And the whole reason you're here, the whole reason you went through the craziness to even get a seat in this place is that in this moment right now, you might repent of your sin, believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for you, rose from the grave for you, and you would ask him to come into your life and to forgive you and to change you and to save you and to set you free. I want you to see how God changes lives. Let's check this out.